Hello, this is the Buddhism Guide podcast, and I'm Kami Yeshi Rabge. You can find more of my podcasts, as well as blogs, videos, and guided meditation practices at buddhismguide.org. If you wish, you can support future episodes of this podcast by going to patreon.com forward slash Buddhism Guide. I hope you enjoy this podcast. It's a pleasure to be here today online with Karma Yeshe Rabgye, British Buddhist monk, meditation master, teacher of mindfulness, and writer of Buddhist books. Yeshe, I know you often get asked to recommend books to your followers, so today I'd like to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about your own books and your journey as a writer. We can start with your first book, The Best Way to Catch a Snake, a practical guide to Gautama Buddha's teaching. This book provides readers with a general introduction to the teachings of the Buddha. It presents the traditional teachings of the Four Noble Truths, the Four Seals and the Four Thoughts. It also touches on some of those Buddhist topics that can be troublesome for more scientific or secular-minded people such as the teachings on karma and reincarnation. The book itself is written in a very clear and jargon-free way that makes it ideal for newcomers to Buddhism, particularly for those readers who want to understand how the Buddha's teachings are relevant for us today in our increasingly complex and busy lives. The book has become your best-selling book and we are fortunate today to have the chance to hear from you, the story behind it. In particular, what led you to write this book? Actually, I never saw myself as an author or ever been able to write a book. And it came about because the monastery where I was staying, the Rinpoche there was going to the West and he was teaching Western people. So I thought it would be a good idea if he wrote something on the Four Noble Truths, because I could see that many of the students that were coming towards uh, Tibetan Buddhism were just skimming over the top of the Four Noble Truths and they just wanted to get into some tantric or yangzap practice and just leave behind what they saw as basic teachings. But for me, I think the Four Noble Truths is the very foundation on what Buddhism is built on. Because without these Four Noble Truths, without fully appreciating, understanding, implementing them, then your Buddhism is on very shaky ground. So that's why I asked him to write the book on the Four Noble Truths. And he said to me, as I am a Westerner, and I've studied Buddhist philosophy and I'm a monk, he thought that I was better placed to write the book. So I went away and thought about it for quite some time because where to start? I'd never even thought about it. So eventually I started putting down some notes and uh, those notes just tended to grow and grow. And uh, I was speaking to a friend of mine who was living close who also studied Buddhist philosophy. And he also helped and guided and pushed me in the right direction. And the Four Noble Truths then 
expanded to the four thoughts and then that expanded to the four seals and it became a book. I wanted it to be understandable. I'd spent many years studying Buddhism and having to learn a whole new vocabulary about all these, all the dogma and all the jargon. And I just wanted to try and strip out as much of that as I can. Now, reading back on the book now, the book is like seven years old. Looking back, then actually there's still a fair bit of jargon in there, but not not as much as, uh, you know, a traditional Buddhist book. So I just felt that uh, for me, I wanted to make it a book that's understandable, that people can just sit and just ponder over and uh, meditate on and really start to implement what are the, the most important uh, teachings, the foundation teachings of Buddhism. So it was a journey. It was a journey for me. And, uh, you know, for me, it, it made me sit and look back over all the years of the teachings. What made sense to me? What do I think are the important points I've taken out of these teachings? How can I express them in a way that's going to interest other people and also help other people on the path? So this really was the thinking behind uh, writing the book, The Best Way to Catch a Snake. The book presents a traditional view on the Buddha's path. What feedback have you received regarding the book? Oh, the feedback has been absolutely amazing. It's uh, been eight years now since the book has been released and it has just taken on a life of its own. Um, it outsells all my other books and I've had so many emails and comments and feedback from people about how it's helped their life and how it's made them um, understand difficult parts of Buddhism, how it's given them a good foundation for their Buddhist practice. And it's not just been people who are new to Buddhism. Even people who have studied Buddhism for years have said that, you know, it's made sense of Buddhism for them. So the feedback has been quite incredible and actually quite humbling. You know, when you get an email telling you that they've read the book and they've gone through the practices and it's changed their life. I mean, that's a pretty big thing, yeah. Your second book, Life's Meandering Path, presents a more secular approach to the Buddhist teachings. It is based on the Mangala Sutra, a teaching of the Buddha that is recited on a daily basis by many Buddhists from the Theravadan traditions of Buddhism. Can you say a few words about why you chose to write about this sutra and what it represents for you? To me, this is a really important sutra. A lot of uh, Theravadin monks, they chant this sutra on a daily basis. But I think, you know, just by chanting it, they're kind of missing the point of it. So the sutra is about uh, this deity comes down and asks the Buddha, what are the most auspicious signs for uh, helping people to have good things in their life? So the Buddha wrote 38 different things. And for me, those 38 things, those 38 principles are a path. Instead of just chanting it or just reading through the sutra, work through it. 
I mean, for me, that, that seemed to be the whole benefit of the sutra. So then I wrote the 38 uh, different points that Buddha made into 38 principles. So instead of just being a sutra to chant, now you have a path, a path that leads you to reducing your suffering, a path that makes you probably the best possible person you can be. So it's not uh, now just a sutra, it's a complete path to follow. So I just thought it was important that, you know, I wrote them down in this way so people can actually understand what Buddha was trying to say. I mean, clearly what he was trying to say is that there is no such thing as auspicious signs. You have to make your own good luck. You have to, you know, mould your own life by making good choices. In all religions, superstition comes in. And so many people are trying to look into the future and look into the past and trying to look at mystical and magical things. And for me, I think you're just missing the whole point of Buddhism if you turn it into some mystical, magical, dogmatic religion. I don't believe that when Buddha taught it, he taught it in that way. And I think that by following the 38 principles of this sutra, you can see that Buddha was clearly giving you a path. For me, I think the, the Mangala Sutra is a perfect sutra to follow, a perfect uh, set of principles to help you throughout your life. What were the factors that led you to write in a more secular way? Actually, I think that as a person... I am more secular than I am traditional. So with the snake book, then I wrote a traditional book. But even in there, there's quite a lot of uh, secularism to it. But I think with this book, I really wanted to write it in a secular way. I wanted to write it in a way that was not just open for Buddhists. It's open for anybody who wants to benefit from you know, following a path that's going to help them and not harm them. For me, I think that over the years, once I started studying Buddhist philosophy, then of course I was wrapped up in the whole of the Buddhist philosophy thing. But when I had chance, after I'd finished all the teachings, had chance to sit and meditate and work through and look at, then I understand, for me, there were certain parts of it that... I don't know, didn't really uh, ring true for me. So from that point, I think I started to become in a little bit more secular in my thinking. And this may be the because I'm a Westerner and, you know, I don't like to just blindly believe things. I like to have a little bit of evidence, a little bit of proof, a little bit of reasoning behind it all, a bit of logic. So I think with a mind like that, it naturally goes towards secularism. So then I think the, the main reason for writing this book in a secular way was because, one, my mind was going that way, and two, I'd already written a book, a traditional book, so I wanted to write something that was for a different type of audience. Your third book, Ripples in the Stream, is a compilation of some of your most popular blog articles. The book begins with an easy to follow introduction 
to the Four Noble Truths, the first teaching the Buddha gave following his awakening. The second half of the book consists of some bite-sized reflections where you have applied the Buddha's teachings to everyday life. It's a great book to pick up if you want to read some short, standalone teachings for reflection and contemplation. The book marks your movement from the physical classroom in the monastery into the online world. Today, you continue to juggle between giving online and offline teachings. What changes has building an online presence brought to your life? I think the, there's no doubt by having an online presence, it puts you out there. I mean, me, I can sit in India and I can teach 100, 200 people maybe. But with online presence, you can teach thousands of people all over the world and, you know, get your message across and get your teachings across. Try to help more people. So I think the online presence for me has been wonderful. You know, I'm on all social media platforms. I do podcasts. I do videos. I write blogs. So all of these things help to get uh, my idea of the teachings across to people and hopefully help people. I know that uh, I started doing the podcasts just because I was listening to different podcasts and I thought there's no podcast that's really, you know, speaking to me. There's not a podcast out there at the moment that really, you know, encapsulates my idea of Buddhism. So I thought, well, I'll start doing one. And now, I don't know, I'm some 50 episodes in and it has just grown and grown and grown. So I think the online presence is wonderful. But I wouldn't just want to stay online. I enjoy doing the face-to-face -face teachings with people, the offline teachings. You know, when I started doing teaching, I, it was never my real intention to be a, a Buddhist teacher. It just seemed to happen that way. And particularly after writing the first book, then really it all started to snowball. But it wasn't my intention and I'd never been trained as a teacher. So I didn't know I had any abilities for teaching. But I think, you know, if you really want to understand uh, anything, teach it. Because the more you start teaching it, the more you start understanding. And particularly when you're doing it uh, offline, face to face with people, you get instant reaction, you get instant feedback. And, you know, it's not a one way thing. It's not me just talking to them. It's them giving feedback to me and then helping me sit and think, OK, yeah, you see it's slightly different, but that's quite good. So it's a two way learning thing. You don't really get that so much with online, but you certainly get that with offline. So I think for me, they're both important. But of course, for getting my message across all over the world, then, yeah, without online presence, then nobody would know me. So I'm thankful that we have these platforms where I can do my teachings and send them out across the world. This brings us to your latest just released book, Open Awareness, Open Mind, Finding Lasting Peace with the Practice of Meditation. The book lays out an easy-to-follow framework that combines meditation, 
mindfulness and self-reflection to give shape and direction to your spiritual practice. The book opens by talking about our search for happiness and meaning. What were the main ideas behind this book? One of my main ideas for writing this book was because everywhere I looked now, people were talking about happiness, happiness, happiness. Happiness is the goal. And I just thought then, I mean, even in Buddhism, people say, you know, we want everybody to be happy and we don't want people to suffer. Okay, I understand that we don't want people to suffer, but we want everybody to be happy. What does that mean? And to me, the more that we use that word, the more meaningless it gets. One reason I wanted to write the book was for that reason, where I think the goal we should be aiming for is peace of mind and not happiness. So, you know, people uh, think that happiness is some sort of destination we're going to reach, but it isn't. But peace of mind is something that we can achieve. So with happiness, we know how to be happy. What we need to do is deal with the sadness, with the days when we're more negative, where we're feeling a little low. So when we've got a peaceful mind, it means we've got a stable mind. We've got an open, a relaxed mind, which means it doesn't matter if good times or bad times. Because we're stable, because we're steady and peaceful, we can deal with whatever life is throwing at us. So if we're happy, great, enjoy the happy moments, but no, they won't last. And if we're sad, then just help ourselves through those sad times, again, knowing they're not going to last. So for me, one of the key points of writing the book was just to show the difference between happiness and peace of mind. Another reason for writing the book was really that I wanted to um, put down on paper my idea of a, a path where instead of just doing a practice for an hour in the morning or an hour in the evening, make the whole day a practice where you wake up in the morning and you do meditation and throughout the day you keep bringing yourself back to being mindful and the end of the day you reflect back over the day and see what worked and what didn't work for you. So instead of just having a set little practice, now your whole day is a practice. So for me, that seems to be a, a real important step in somebody's life because if you're going to sit down for an hour and meditate and then get up and go out and somebody cuts you up in the car and then you start swearing and shouting then what have you learned on the meditation cushion so meditation mindfulness reflection it's a whole day's practice cocooning all of that is the way that we act so then at the end i put a path the Eightfold Path, eight ways to live our life so we don't cause harm to others or ourselves. And we actually try to help ourselves and help others. The book draws from the Buddhist teaching, but on reflection, it seemed to me that it, it might be a useful book not only for Buddhists, but perhaps for non-Buddhists as well. Who did you have in mind when you were writing the book? 
Actually, I wrote the book for people who have been studying and doing meditation for a long time and people who are new to meditation and new to mindfulness. So really, it's a, a book that is for anybody who's interested in meditation and mindfulness and reflection practice. If you read the book and you've never read any Buddhist book before, it doesn't matter because there's a clear path there for you. And if you know meditation, you've been doing it for a while, there's actually key pointers in there that are going to help strengthen your meditation practice. So the book wasn't just written for one type of person. It wasn't just written for secular Buddhists or traditional Buddhists. I mean, it was written for people who are not even Buddhists, really, people that are just interested in introducing meditation and mindfulness into their lives. Thank you, Yeshe, for taking the time to talk about your work, and we wish you success with your books and all your future projects. Links to purchase the books can be found in the description below. Thanks for listening. This is the end of this podcast, but don't forget, you can find more of my podcasts at buddhismguide.org. Thank you so much for listening, and until the next time, bye.